And all the time? Come on. You know you've got a church that's not just millennials when you can say that and people just jump in. I'm sure if I said it at home, Samuel would go, I, I know. God is good. I know. All the time. All the time what? I'm sure. <laughs> so I'm glad there's some others my age. Amen for that. Um, today is very much about what I, I believe one of the songs where, where we were singing the words that God is our way maker. Wow, look, there's a speaker in my way. So God's going to make a way. Sorry, sound people. Um, that he's our way maker, that he's our promise keeper, that he, he, he's our light in the darkness. I, I have a strong sense that today God wants to make a way for somebody. I have a very strong sense that God today actually wants to reaffirm that he's actually their promise keeper and that in their darkness he's their light. And I think sometimes we can miss that and even when we don't miss it, we see it for everybody else and yet we don't declare it or step into it for ourselves. And the hardest part of Christianity and faith is actually stepping into some of the things of God for ourselves. Amen? So the last few weeks we've been looking at family and what it is to be a family, to be a church family, some of the changes that need to happen within our homes, within ourselves, within this place, within the, the greater church. So, and we've been pulling that stuff out of the book of Ruth. And so I want to keep looking at that because there's, there's so much truth here for us if we will grab hold of it. So if you will allow me, um, then I'm hoping that we'll pick up some guidance and teaching on how we can do family well these days. So we're going to jump into Ruth chapter 3. Before we do, I'm going to pray. There's two things, two backgrounds that I think will help us. Yeah, it's good to understand what, the, you know, I guess the context of the story and what's going on and then we can go from there. So Father, we just pray, Lord, like always, that you just would have your way, Lord, regardless sometimes of what I say, Lord, or what I plan, I pray the words that you want spoken will be spoken and Lord, I pray that the words that are spoken will be taken to the hearts that need it, that Lord, certainly that lives will be changed, rearranged, Lord, bondages will be broken, people will be set free, Lord, like we experienced in worship, Father, that people will be healed in the presence of the Almighty God. So have your way today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the, the whole story suggestion, the whole story of Ruth is really about the land. It's about the promised land, some would suggest. The background, anyway, it's all about inheritance. And I actually think that some of the theologians and the commentaries that you read that would suggest that, I actually believe that that's a good thought. Because the whole kinsman redeemer thing, they get, you've got to understand, the word redeemer gets mentioned 26 times in scripture, but yet nine times in the book of Ruth. Yeah, so this whole kinsman redeemer thing in the book of Ruth has a lot to do with provision for a widow yeah, called Naomi. It really does. And as we know, because we've been looking at it the last few weeks, Naomi's husband, Eli Malek, Elimelech, I have to sound it out so that I get it right. Yeah? And I don't know about anyone else, but anyway, I should just call him Eli. But Elimelech, he dies, 
And then she arrives, she comes back to Bethlehem as a widow. She's no longer entitled to the land, to the provision that, that belonged to her late husband because he's passed away. She also had two sons that would have been heirs and they've passed away. So the only thing that she has left is an unmarried daughter-in-law. So literally, as they stood, they stood to inherit nothing. Nothing at all because of the, the culture of the day, the hereditary culture of the day. So what we've got to understand, they were going to Bethlehem completely without. They were destitute, broke, broken. You've got to, you've got to capture and understand the desperation in their move, yeah? And, and you've got to, the law too, the law that, that was allowing that to happen, the, the land is no longer theirs. The law was never meant to be mean to women. The law was in fact there to help protect women. And right through the, the book of Ruth, you get this sense that God wants us to know how to, re to protect and to respect women. It was a law that was there to help them. It, it, it actually protected women by protecting marriage. You know, there was always going to be an heir, I guess. Leviticus 25, 25 reads, If one of our fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they've what they've sold, there was always going to be a redeemer. There was always going to be an heir. God always looks after the poor. And, and that's one of the background principles. The person in this story will be a redeemer, Boaz. Yeah? But let's also add that the word of God is so gracious, it's actually so, so gracious that it doesn't neglect the, those that are in need. And as a house, as a family, if we learn something, as Ray said this morning, who is it that we can help? Who is it that's in need? Because if the word, if the word of God doesn't neglect it, if he himself is gracious and doesn't neglect it, then his house, his children, his hands and feet extended, shouldn't neglect that either. Correct? Amen, they said with a smile on their face. So a relative could claim Naomi's daughter-in-law as a wife, redeem the land, then Naomi would be provided for. That's background one. Background two is the threshing season. And, and, and this is a little bit mysterious because they go to Bethlehem and when most people think of Bethlehem, they think the shepherds, you know, because the shepherds, they went to Bethlehem, all that sort of stuff. But, but we've got to remember that Bethlehem is also called the house of bread. It's where God did some miraculous stuff, particularly when it came to, to this season. So the grain was also important. And, and this would happen whenever people gathered around the grain in Israel. And I, the first act that they did, I know that we looked at gleaming what they did in allowing you know, Ruth to come up behind and, and collect. But what they actually did, the first thing that they did was take it to the public threshing floor. Yeah? Now, this, was, this, is, this is wild because in the story, Ruth ends up here, but the threshing floor was a place for men. It was really risque. Yeah, it was risky for her to go there, you know. And, and it was a place that was full of decision. It was a legal place because decisions were made over the, over the grain, you know. And, and, and the grain would be gathered and people had to move really fast. And they were moving so fast that it would be dusty. You know, you could just imagine a, a dry paddock just with, with sand or dirt, you know, and you've got kids playing. But this is adults working, moving, and it was just dust everywhere. It was, a, it, was a, it was a dirty, grimy place. And sometimes they worked so hard that they would even sleep there on the threshing floor. And 
on that threshing floor, what took place is the grain got moved around because it was on a raised platform. As the grain got moved around, the wind would blow and it would blow away what we call the, 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 the chaff, the chaff. The, if you're American, they'd probably say chafe. Who knows how they say it? Yeah, but it would blow. It would blow all of that. All the rubbishy bits would get blown away because it was on an elevated platform. I just want to point out, and, and again, we've got to understand this for ourselves, particularly when we're reading scripture. That that's how God often works in our lives. A storm comes. Storm comes blowing in. Yeah, and then all the rubbishy bits of our lives get blown away over time <laughs> it's messy it's dirty often painful we often call it pruning yeah when a storm comes god's doing a work because he uses all things together for good doesn't he so anyway they're the two background pictures the strict legality around land and provision and the protection of marriage but at the same time this threshing season and, and where it's just this short well, it's almost like, I guess, the old, um, when you worked in stocks, you know, the old movies? You'd see them on the, on the floor selling, buying and selling stocks and bonds, and it was, you know, the movies make it look like mayhem. You know, if anyone remembers that movie with, with um, Eddie Murphy, what was it, Trading Places? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm showing my age. It, it, was, it, was, it was a mess, but there was a stack of energy all at that same time, and this is what's going on now. So... Now we're going to read. You've got a background. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you are at least saying, well, okay, that's a background. Now we're going to read. Caught it. Verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, who was... Um, sorry, with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash. This is really important, verse 3. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answers. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Can you imagine that? You go to bed, you wake up and there's a woman lying at your feet. Or if, if you're a woman you go, and you know, vice versa, right? that would be a bit startling. Wouldn't it? I used to get started waking up when my kids were in my bed. They did, certainly didn't start there. Yeah. Anyway, I reckon it would be startling. So, we'll keep reading anyway. Who are you, he asked, because that's what you ask when you find a woman at your feet. Who are you? Oh, my goodness. I'm the one you've been waiting for, she replied. No, no. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men with, uh, with a ritual poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. 
All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. Again, risky. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. I love that. A picture of the Redeemer. The man will not rest until this is settled. Warren Willsby actually calls this whole story the midnight meeting. You know, you could imagine it in a novel, you know? You know, it's, what's, what's that? Francine Rivers, you know, let's say, you know, she's written the midnight meeting and there in the middle of the night. You know, you could imagine, you could read that novel, couldn't you? I mean, this is how it's written. You know, and, and you think about, I, I don't know why, why God has this intent, but, you know, Adam goes to sleep and he wakes up and there's a woman at his feet as well. Right? Jacob woke up and he was married to the wrong woman. It's like, you know, like he woke up and said, oh, well, there's someone different there. You know, Boaz wakes up and there's Ruth. And, and I think Ruth was there with a proposal. I actually believe she proposed to him. But at the midnight meeting, Boaz wakes up and it's almost like, am I dream- dreaming? Who, who, who are you? And she answers, I'm your servant Ruth. You know, this is a bold woman. Like, she is a bold woman. She's a woman going down to the threshing floor that was where the men were. But yet she's, she's humble. She's not doing it for herself. I, I love this about her. She, she's actually under instruction. She's actually getting spiritual guidance from her mother-in-law. And I love the way that as you read the story, there's a, there's a balance of humility. There's a, brand, a, a balance of the stuff that happens, the productivity. You know, the midnight meeting, it sounds really romantic. You know, it does. It just sounds like a movie for me, I reckon, the midnight meeting. For those that are saying no, you've obviously, your husbands, you need to be more romantic for those wives, okay? You know, they're not enjoying this thought of a midnight meeting. I love a midnight meeting! That didn't come out right. Anyway, that didn't come out right at all. The midnight meeting, wow. Keep moving. I imagine that in this PG story, in this PG story, that Ruth and Boaz, this would be a story that they would tell their grandchildren. Seriously. You know, Nan, tell me, how is it that you met granddad again? You know, how did it work? This would be a story that they would tell their kids. You know, did Ruth propose at that midnight meeting? Like I said, I think she did. And Boaz was accepting. I think he accepted it. But he was also able to let her know, and this is, if he's a picture of the Redeemer, there's something that we have to learn for ourselves right here. Because he says he's accepting. He accepts the proposal. Yes, I can do this for you, but there's a but. 
He was able to let her know that he, it couldn't be a done deal yet. It's not over yet. In fact, we read the whole chapter and they're not married yet. Yeah, We, we know this because we've read it before, that they will be, but as you read it, if we're reading it as a novel, it's not done yet. It's just not done yet. Excuse me for a moment. Well, I'll put this on silent before I frisbee it across the room. There we go. I'll find out later who it is that um, is texting me from the auditorium. Anyway, it's not a done deal yet. And I think so often, if we're to be honest and think about that as it's playing out, that's so often our life where we know there's a call of God, we know there's a promise of God, we know that there's things for us to walk into and we can see that it's a yes and an amen. But it's not done yet. It's not done yet. We haven't got to the end yet. We know we're right, but we're not there yet. You know? You know, we're going to be in the very last quarter of this story before the story gets to an end. And I actually think, you know, when we're talking about books of the Bible, I actually think this is brilliantly written because as you read it, I think you can feel the tension in it. I really believe you can feel the tension. Will this good thing really happen? Well, surely it will because we know that whatever God starts, he finishes. Whatever he started in my life, whatever he started in your life, he's going to finish. So this is to encourage someone today. God will finish what he started in your life. It doesn't matter if he started 20 years ago, 50 years ago. Whatever it might be, God will start and will finish what he started in your life. Stop despairing. <laughs> like Stop living in your winter season and know that if you step forward into hope, into your spring, summer will come. God is good to his word and he will finish what he started. He will. I mean, someone needs to say amen because, yeah, yeah come on. Even when it looks incomplete, even when it looks impossible, God will still finish what he started. Yeah? You know, you and I, we often live between the now and the not yet. You know, it's just where we live. That this, is, this is Christianity sometimes. Not at its best, but at its best. I mean, then we have to have faith, don't we? You know, and we know, because the last few weeks I've said that hope is a forward movement. If we want to move out of the now towards what is not yet, we still have to move forward. We still have to move toward it. We can't just wait there expecting things to happen. You know, the ultimate not yet is heaven, isn't it? Where we're going, that's got to be the ultimate not yet. But we're often working on plans. We've often got dreams. You know, as a church, we want to accomplish things and do things. So we live continually in the now and the not yet. And we find ourselves between those times. So I just want to encourage you, keep moving forward, even when things aren't settled. Naomi and Ruth had to move forward. They had to move forward all the time. Keep moving forward, even when things aren't settled. Keep moving forward. You know, I, I know I, I always joke, you know, when someone's upset, if someone's holding a grudge, if someone's holding an offence, you know, against you, you know, give them that up slap and tell them to wake up, you know, tell them that they can't be Christian and be offended because you can't. You can't utter those two words in the same sentence. I'm a Christian, believe in Jesus, I'm offended. Ba-bow, no deal. Doesn't work. Certainly doesn't work. Yeah. Well, you can, you can come and argue with me later. Oh, seriously, we'll probably give you an up slap. 
Like, because it just doesn't work. But the reason I mentioned it, someone in our church said, one of our grandkids was really listening to what you said because they were playing with their sibling and they slapped them. <laughs> oh, that's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, we've got to keep moving in the right direction. Chapter 3 doesn't settle the story. And so where you're at right now, the story may not be settled. Keep moving forward. You've got to keep moving forward. Yeah, I'm not sure that there's ever really a point that we can say everything is perfect. Everything, our kids, our grandkids, our relationships, our finances, our workplace, our schools, the, the whole kitten caboodle, our health. I don't know if there's ever a time where we can say everything is perfect. But yet we can keep moving forward because we can be content and find our joy in the Lord and there we will find our strength to keep moving, yeah? There's always something that we're praying about, isn't there? Yeah? There's always something that we're working on. As a pastor, a pastor's work's never done. It really isn't. There's always someone else I can call. You can call me, see? You're not just there, right? There's always someone else I can visit. He's never visited me. You don't have coffee, but see? Right? Like, the, our work is never done. It could go on and on and on and on. But isn't it good to know that God is a God who always fulfills his purposes? He always finishes the job. He always finishes what he starts. Yeah, if that, that's enough for us to be encouraged for today, full stop, that he's going to finish what he started. And, and I want to get really practical, if I can, from this point on, because in the midst of this story, there's a little bit of, it's, there's a little bit of mystery for me anyway. I think it's, it can be a bit mysterious. And I tried to give us a little bit of a background that probably confused things some more, I don't know, to help us understand it better. But even when we understand as much as we can, this is a unique story. And it's actually set in a particular time, in a particular place. And yet, it's one of the greatest moves of God in history. Like, it just so is. And, and by the time we get to 1 Samuel, the whole, there's a dramatic change in, in the history of Israel. That all of a sudden, everything points to Jesus. Everything points to the kingship of David. Everything points to Bethlehem. There's something that changes because of this story. I guess there's things in it, in the mystery that we have to apply to our lives. Yeah, We need divine boundaries in our lives. You and I need divine boundaries in our lives to shield us from the effects of life, of sin, the stuff that will separate us from God. We need boundaries because if we don't have boundaries, we're going to find that stuff pulls us away from God. Anyone ever felt distant from God? I have. If you haven't, that's awesome. Amen for that. Again, I'll upslap you later for lying. You know, like we've all had moments because we all suffer loss. Yeah, we've all had moments, so we need divine boundaries, and God places boundaries in our lives to protect us far more than we realise. You know, the the details of this story it's it's, it's almost like a slow dance. Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. We've got to keep moving to chapter four before we get to some form of conclusion. There's still there's this clear recognition that Naomi knows what's going on. There's an understanding almost that Ruth knows what the deal is. Boaz himself seems to have worked things out around the threshing floor. Yeah, and their understanding they understand things that are clearly a mystery to us. And you know, I, I guess that's not a bad thing. 
not a bad thing as long as they know the one thing I know they know is they know there's a difference between right and wrong and for you and I as a family within our homes within the house we have to know the difference between right and wrong Alistair Begg said we need to know when the Bible is reporting <laughs> and when the Bible is recommending let me share this as an example so when we see that Jacob has two wives both Rachel and Leah as his wives I'm going to fill you in on something particularly for those at home that's not a recommendation that's the Bible reporting and telling us a story yeah telling us what was happening because as we read that story you know the, the truth is we need to know difference between right and wrong because you and I have got freedoms in our life we can choose whatever we like but if you read that story they get to a part where you know that oh, that wasn't a good deal oh, that actually that sucked to be him with two wives that was just tough like Bible's not recommending it it's just telling a story yeah, so there are things in the Bible that are stories that, are, that it's reporting so that we can actually set boundaries and know how we can live our life because God's purpose for us is to live a life in a, and a life abundant amen Hebrews 12.14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Holiness isn't a negative. Holy, the holiness of God, the purity of God, it's not a negative. It, it, it's not the negative bit that you put up with. I mean, you, are, you and I, we're alive in Jesus, amen? Yeah? And we're saved by, by him through his blood, amen? We're now sons and daughters of God and we worship him and have eternal life through him and we've been adopted in his family because of him yes yeah they're all good things i think aren't they it's awesome thing it's an awesome thing to know jesus now this is tongue-in-cheek what a shame that we have to be holy that's how some christians live what a shame that we have to be holiness that we have to be holy and live a holy life. Holiness is a good thing. It keeps us on track. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You don't come, you know, doing right matters. You don't come to church and worship him and lift your hands and then think, good, I've got that out of the way. Now I'm going to go out in the world and I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, that's not how it works. We're supposed to be holy, particularly in our relationships with one another, with our husbands, with our wives with our boyfriends and girlfriends, with our family in church. We're supposed to be holy. You don't come to church and worship God and then go home and secretly have a dartboard with my face on it and throw darts at it. I'm just using myself as an example instead of somebody else that may get offended later. You know? <laughs> I can offend myself. I often scream at myself in them. No, I don't. It's just picture that. It's good fun. Holiness is a good thing. We want holiness, of the holiness of God in our lives. Our whole character just isn't functioning properly if we don't live this way. You know, this marriage that's happening in, in, in this book with, with Ruth and Boaz it has an element of choice to it. They could choose yes, they could choose no, but, but Boaz himself knows what's right. And he says, yes, I will, but if there's somebody else that can... And if they do, then they will and I won't. But if they don't, because I know what's right, if they won't, then I'll be a man of my word and I will step in and do exactly what I've said. He knows the difference between right and wrong. And he had the ability to make a choice. 
I love it. If this other person comes along and marries you, well, that's the right way around. But if he won't marry you, well, then I will. Man, isn't that romantic? <laughs> uh, it was a different kind of marriage, but it was a biblical marriage. The second thing this story tells me is there's hope for broken people. There's hope for broken people. I will preach this and hit this drum for the rest of my dying days. There's hope for broken people. Naomi started the story in a pretty bad way, and so did Ruth. Chapter 1's pretty depressing. They're in a winter season. Chapter 2, we're feeling a bit of hope. It's warming. It's a spring season. We've been talking about that. In chapter 3, it's almost like, pardon the pun, it's almost like they've got a spring in their step as they head towards summer, right? Harvest time's happening. God is up to something. Yet it's not all done. It's still not all done, even though God is up to something. It's not all fixed. So I want to suggest that when we step into adding faith in mission to what the Lord's calling us, and you know what God's calling you to, you know what he's placed on your heart, the moment that you said yes to him, the times that you've prayed with him and to him, when, when we step out in the purposes of God, we don't always have all the answers. You know, in that place, we're going to have to trust God and depend on him. But isn't it interesting on how God often calls us and uses those that are at their lowest ebb, at their weakest moment? God speaks. Naomi was broken. She was broke. She was heading back to the land that God had promised with nothing and nothing ahead. And yet she knew it was where she needed to be. Before revival comes, the tide always goes out. Yeah? Someone needs to hear that. Before revival comes, the tide always goes out. Always. Always. And in our country, the tide's been going out for a long time, I reckon. But broken people can find hope. Broken people can find hope. You and I, we've all experienced some form of brokenness. There's hope for broken people. You know, the third thing, Naomi's name means pleasant. We looked at that last week, yeah? It means pleasant. That's a great name. And, and I don't know what all of your names mean. I struggle, struggle to even pronounce Elimelech, you know? I don't know what everyone's name means. I know what my name means. <laughs> it, it means strong and manly. <laughs> Strong and manly. Just remember that next time you speak to me. <laughs> but here's Naomi, and she kind of plays with her name. Her name's Pleasant, but then in chapter 1 she says, Call me Mara, which means bitter. So what she's saying is, you know what? My life is so trash at the moment. I want you to call me Mara. I want you to call me bitter and twisted. That's what she's saying. Call me bitter and twisted. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb because maybe we've all had days where you and I have said to ourselves, and really, we've probably not spoken outwardly, but our faces read it, hey, why don't you just call me Mara? Call me bitter and twisted because life at the moment just... It's not all that good. Yeah, maybe, just maybe. 
We've said things like, I'm pretty bitter about something right now, but we're Christians. And because we're believers in Jesus, you and I, we can actually be set free from bitterness. Yeah. Can we be bitter? Yes. Do we need to live in it? Not as a Christian. Can we be offended? Yes. Do we need to live in it? Not as a Christian. You know, wouldn't you say that the world's pretty bitter right now? You can't even tell them that the sky's blue, you know, because someone else will say, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, sometimes you look around and it feels like the world is broken. And the real question is, I guess, is have you and I sometimes been affected by the brokenness and the bitterness of the world? But the reality is that we all have. Because like I've mentioned already twice, is we've all gone through losses, all of us. All of us. And the thing we have to watch when we go through life is as we go through losses, we have to be careful not to become bitter and twisted. Because it's so easy. Particularly if someone's done us wrong or something's happened that hasn't panned out. And if we find ourselves being bitter, the one consolation we have is we can take that to the Lord. Amen? I mean, if you're feeling bitter about right now about anything, whether you're at home and you're feeling bitter, I'm not close enough to slap you. I can't. But I'll do it this way. Hebrews 12:15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In other words, don't say you're a believer and say you're offended. Don't say you're a believer and you're holding on to bitterness. Don't, because the word tells you not to. I love a good word, don't you? Just like, poof, it so makes me even stronger and manlier hearing stuff like that. You know, maybe that's Naomi's strength. Because she starts off with, hey, hey, I'm Mrs. Bitter. But by chapter 3, there's a spring in her step and she's saying, hey, Ruth, go and meet Boaz. And, and, and in fact, she's realised that Boaz is a relative. So she knows that something good is about to happen. She can see it and she moves towards it in faith. And we've got to commend Naomi. She's an overcomer. And you and I, we're overcomers in the gospel. You know, when a bride prepares for marriage, it's a picture of Jesus and the church. And chapter 3, verse 3, is a picture for every Christian. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. This is a picture for you and me. This is a picture for the church. Because one, wash, wash, wash. In other words, we need cleansing. We need cleansing. We need, clean, we need to wash. There are just times in our relationship with Jesus that we need to say sorry. Lord, you know what? I stuffed it, I've stuffed it, I've wrecked it. I just need you in my life. Wash me by the blood of the Lamb. Please wash me clean. We need anointing. Put on perfume, it says in verse 3. Put on, there's an anointing like the woman who anointed Jesus, who broke the alabaster jar. That's anointing oil. Did you know that King, King Charles, when he was anointed recently, they reckon the oil they used was from olives from the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, the mount, if you like. That's not bad, eh? I loved it when I read that. I go, that's really cool. 
That's cool. But you know what else that the, that oil pictures? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we need to be washed by the blood of the Lamb and we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Then what does a bride do? Puts on, get dressed in your best clothes. Don't we hear this all the time in the New Testament? Take off your old clothes. Put on the new garments of grace. Yeah? Come on, this has got to be a picture for some of us here today. If you're offended, if you're feeling bitter, you know, it's time to go to Jesus and say, I'm sorry. Wash me by the blood of the Lamb. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to wear the new garments of this gospel in Jesus' name. Naomi obeyed. I, I want to... I, I'm, I'm winding up. I'm legitimately winding up because of time, but this. There's something that I really have to share. Because Naomi obeyed. Maybe the difference needed in our life between bitter and not being bitter, maybe it's obedience. Maybe it's service. Because Naomi gets active. She, she gets serving again. And that doesn't mean you have to be on a roster in a church. It means that you're serving the family of God. The same way that if you're in a family at home, regardless of whether you're a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, or a 52-year-old, we've got our roles to play, don't we? Yeah? So she starts serving. She gets involved again. And she goes from this, I'm bitter, my life's a mess. And now she's actually helping out the kingdom of God. Now this is really important. She starts helping the kingdom of God and the line of Jesus is being both produced and protected at the same time. You don't get... The lineage of Jesus comes under attack through Scripture time and time and time again. But in this instance... Because of what they did, because of Naomi and Ruth, yeah, in this instance, this is now going to lead to King David. And, and the line of Christ came through King David. Where was Jesus born? The place that they went back to, Bethlehem. Maybe you and I need to get active again. Maybe there's some people that need to get involved in the family again. Maybe, maybe. The line of Christianity, the lineage of Jesus for your family relies on you. No one in my family is a believer. Well, maybe it relies on you. Maybe you're the one where it's going to end or it's going to continue. Because if it wasn't for Naomi and Ruth, we'd never know Jesus. It wouldn't have come through the lineage that, it, that God had predestined. You know, Elimelech and Naomi left the promised land to better themselves and their dreams turned to ashes. And sometimes you and I, we can feel that way. And that's okay. <laughs> because he's the way maker through that. Maybe he's given us promises and it feels like nothing's coming to pass. Everything's falling apart. Money, relationships, there's things that have been said that have hurt you and wounded you. Maybe you've got a child that's walked away from the Lord. Maybe, maybe there's a proposal that's not happening. Maybe there's a toxic person in your life. Maybe you're waiting on a diagnosis from the hospital and you're just worried on how that's going to play out. You know, the only thing we can do in that situation is to turn our heart back toward home. The only thing that we can do, when Naomi was broken and broke and destitute, she left the place that was so close to the promised land and she came back to Bethlehem. Even the shepherds understood the importance of the house of bread, didn't they? 
When they said in the New Testament, come on, let's hurry, let's get to Bethlehem. Even they understood it. Maybe you and I, if we can get this into our spirits, if we can learn to fight for our faith, maybe our families would look different. Maybe our children's faith would look different. Maybe their children's children's faith would look different. Maybe the third generation and fourth generation would look different. Why don't we stand? Naomi is a broken-hearted widow. And she heads out towards Bethlehem and she keeps going. And you know what? That terrain was tough. They didn't have four-wheel drives. They were walking. If they were rich, they would have had a donkey. They were walking. They were going through parts. Their life's journey back to the promised land was difficult. You and I, we've got to learn to fight. And so, worship team, come up, please. I'm finished, but I don't believe God is. This is holy ground. And I can't help but think that the lineage of Jesus needs to continue, not just in my family, but in yours. And not just in yours, but your kids or future kids. And not just in theirs, but their children. And if that means that we've got to step out and give up bitterness, if that means we've got to let go of offence, if that means we have to step towards serving and obeying what God has placed on our hearts, there's hope for you even in your brokenness. One of the songs that we sang, um, the Waymaker, even, uh, even when you're working, you know, I don't see it. What are those words, Sal? Can you put them up? Because I can't think of it off the top. At 52, the people that do all the filing in my mind haven't come back from holidays. Anyway, um, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. So let me bring it home this way and say, even when I think about my wife Melanie and all that she's doing in her burnout and chronic fatigue, it's hard to understand. But the promise of God that I hold on to and that she holds on to is that even when we don't see it, we know he's working. Even when we don't feel it, we know he's working. And if hope is a forward step, if hope is a forward step, then today while the band sings, whatever they sing. I'm going to say what I said last week. I'm not going to pray for you. You don't need me to pray for you. But what God needs is he needs you to step forward in faith towards your hope. Because maybe, maybe you're still living in your winter because you're not stepping out in faith. Oh, I'm in my seat. I'm in my seat. And this is not manipulative, but it's just commentary, not criticism either. I'm in my seat and I'm just accepting what you're saying, Pastor. Well, maybe God wants to see you take a step. Because it's not for the people next to you, behind you, in front of you, or for me. But maybe you need to step out of your seats into the aisle. Or maybe you need to step from the aisle to the front and actually say, God, you know what? I can't live in this winter season anymore. I've had enough of the things that I'm dependent on. I've had enough of the things that bring me down. I've had enough of feeling this way. I need summer in my life. And so if that's you, as they play, don't wait for me. Don't wait for anyone else. 
come forward and worship the one that can set you free. Amen. He's the way maker. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. You're moving in our midst. I worship you. You are here, you're working in this place, I worship you.